We are in a new series we started last week, a four-part series called HERO. And the thought behind this is it's an acronym. We're using the H-E-R-O to work through some attributes of a godly character. And the question is, what does it look like to live a godly character? And we're using the Old Testament Bible character of a man named David. And David was in no means perfect, but he certainly had some tremendous godly attributes that we can apply to our lives. The challenge to this entire series is this, to live the character traits of a godly hero. That's our challenge. You see, it's all well and good to know about God and have knowledge in our head about Him, but there's a huge disconnect between head knowledge and action. Oftentimes, just in general in life, we know what to do, but we have a really hard time actually doing it. And that's what we talk about, these, these hero attributes. None of these are surprises. As we work through this acronym, and the H stands for the heart of God. And we build on that. And this, this week we're looking at encouragement from God. Then next week we're looking at repentant toward God. And then finally, obedient to God. And as we think of these godly attributes, we have to go beyond just the head knowledge and recognize that God has something that is molding and shaping each and every one of us. Some of you are experiencing some tremendous, wonderful high points of, of your life. And I love when I speak with people and they say things are going great. And there's a number of people that we speak to and things are just normal. And I'm grateful for the times of normalcy, aren't you? The normal times when everything is working out, the bills are paid, the children are healthy, you're getting along well with your spouse, everything is normal, and we like those times. But others of us are going through some really low times. I know there's families in our church that are experiencing the difficulties. There are families experiencing health difficulties and financial difficulties, uncertainty in family relationships and uncertainty in regards to employment and in the ups and also the downs of life. How can we apply these hero attributes to have a godly character traits in our life? And that's what we're looking at. And look, using David as the example, we, this is our principle for today. And every Sunday, of course, we have a principle that we seek to apply to our life. And this week is this. To be a godly hero, here's an I will statement. I will believe what God says. If we simply believe what does the Bible say? What does God's word say? What is he teaching me? Because there's so many different things in our world that are vying for our attention. And which voices are we going to listen to? Are we going to listen to the lies that we're told by society? Are we going to listen to the things that sound so good but are not biblically sound or correct that we're taught in our world around us? Or are we going to go back to what the Bible teaches? And I believe to have the encouragement from God and have that godly attribute in our life and that character trait in our life, we have to believe what God says. Look, using David as the example, David was a man who was by no means perfect. He was referred to as a man after God's own heart. As a young teenager, he was anointed to be the future king of Israel. He was a young man who defeated giants like Goliath. 
defended his father's sheep from lions and bears. He was a strong warrior even from a young age. He led men into battle victoriously. Years of his life that he ran in terror for his life because he did not know whether or not he was going to live through the night. He was a man who was a skilled musician who played the harp. He wrote the majority of the Psalms where he was a man who was in touch with his feelings and could express them clearly through words. He was a man who in, in grief wept openly, but also in worship would dance publicly. He was a man who had his issues and problems, where he had pride, he had family issues, he had moral issues in regards to he was an adulterer and a murderer. He had family issues where his father-in-law hated him and wanted him dead, and also his own children wanted him dead at times, where they dishonored him, and he was back and forth with life. He was a man who lived for 70 years. He ruled Israel as king for 40 years. He lived 3,000 years ago, and we still talk about him today. Jesus himself was referred to as the son of David. He was the great, 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 great grandson of King David. And they still back, went back and referred to him as the son of David. Now we, 3,000 years later, look back upon the life of David and recognize there's some character traits that we can learn from. The high points of his life, but also the low points. This morning's message is a little bit different than I often teach, because I'm going to be telling you the, uh, an account of, of his life and some, some really low points of David's life. But here's the foundational question. So get this in your mind, and then we'll begin to answer it through this message. Where should David find his hope? Should he find it in his character? Should he find it in his circumstances? Or can he find it ultimately in his relationship with God and find his confidence in God? So what we're going to do, we're going to begin these points. I'm just going to tell you a story of David's life. So we're going to begin with, first of all, where should David rely? First of all, should he rely upon his character? Looking back on his character, he certainly was a young man. As a teenager, people saw there was something different about him. He was a brave young man who defeated giants like Goliath. I mean, imagine the reputation as a teenager. I mean, teenagers naturally have a, have a pride issue often. And then you make him the defeater of a giant. Imagine the, the pride that he could have possibly had. But you know what the scripture says about David? The Bible says that he did right. In 1 Kings chapter number 15, verse number 5, it says, David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. He did not turn aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except for the matter of Uriah the Hittite, which is the matter of, of immorality and murder, where he was an adulterer and a murderer. But there's a key phrase there. David did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn aside. What a wonderful way to be described. There's many of the kings that are described in the Bible as they did that was right in the eyes of the Lord. But there's a longer list of Israelite kings and Jude, kings from Judah that did not do that which was right in the eyes of the Lord and did the opposite. What a tremendous way to be described. God said about, about David in the book of Acts, chapter number 13, verse number 22. He says, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. 
What a tremendous way to be described. God says he's doing what is right and he's doing all my will. Not only that, David had some character. He also had the spirit of God upon him. We, we recognize in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 16, verse 13, it says, The Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. When he was anointed to be the next king of Israel, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. In Old Testament times, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, would come upon people for particular periods of time. Oftentimes when you read through the Old Testament, you'll recognize and you'll see uh, the judges, people like Samson. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then other times the Spirit of the Lord left him. The king Saul, the, the, the king of Israel at this time, the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And then when the Lord rejected him as king, the Spirit of the Lord left him. We as believers in Jesus Christ, and if you know Christ as your Savior today, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit resides in you. You have the Spirit of the Lord in you. And it's not temporary. He's there securing our salvation. He's teaching us what is right. We have a tremendous privilege that the Old Testament characters we find in the Scripture did not have. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. David could have relied upon his character because he did that was, was right. He did the will of God. He had the Spirit of God upon him. He was also incredibly successful. The Scripture records in 1 Samuel 18, verse 14, David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. If David was simply to rely upon his character, you look at that and you think, he has a pretty good character. What a tremendous way to be described. But what did David get for all his effort? He got trouble on all sides. Everywhere that David looked, he had trouble. He had God with him, but he didn't always feel like God was with him. You see, there was a king named Saul who had a son-in-law named David, and Saul was jealous of David. And because David was anointed to be the next king, Saul said, I want you to die, I want you to kill you. So David was on the run for literally years through this, this time period. And that's what we see on our next point. We see David couldn't rely upon his character. Could he rely upon his circumstances? And that's our second point this morning, our circumstances. David had, an, had an incredible circumstances. You were the son-in-law of the king, except the king hated you. Now you talk about awkward Christmas dinners and awkward family gatherings. You're sitting there and the king hates you and wants you dead. And it even records in 1 Samuel chapter number 19, Saul gathering his family and servants together and saying this, Saul spoke to Jonathan his son and to all his servants. In other words, this is common knowledge. This isn't a small family gathering secret like, we really hate David, let's kill him. Everyone knew about this. They, that they should kill David. David, as a result of that, has a spear thrown at him, and he flees and runs, and he goes out into the wilderness toward the enemy. And the enemy was an area, an, area, an area called Gath. Now, David was afraid of King Saul and afraid for his life because if he stayed there, he would have been murdered. So he goes and runs, but he runs towards some people that he's equally afraid of. And he goes, I'm afraid there. I'm also afraid here. What should I do? And he runs to an area called Gath. 
And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 and 12, it says, David rose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, the king of Gath. David was much afraid of Achish, the, the king of Gath. Now, I, I like how the Bible kind of understates things or just states things as fact. He was much afraid. You start thinking through things that you're absolutely terrified of. And he says, I'm going from one situation that's scary and running for my life. I'm going to another situation that's equally scary. And for a warrior to be described as much afraid, I would say for me, it was he absolutely cried and scared and he was shuddering in his boots if it was me. And he goes on. We see that the man who had killed giants the man who had defeated lions and bears, the man who had led troops into battle victoriously, who had been sung songs about, about his great conquest, was now a man who was hiding and running for his life. And David did something out of desperation here. And we can see the desperate state that he was in. We go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21. David is now standing before the king of Gath, and he does this. So he changed his behavior before them and pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Imagine this man of God who was doing the things of God, who was doing the very will of God. The spirit of God was upon him and he's in such a desperate state that he says, the only way I'm going to get out of the situation and they won't kill me if they think I'm crazy. They think I'm insane. So he starts scratching at the doors. He starts drooling all over his beard. This is the future king of Israel, God's anointed, who's living and doing things that he would never do publicly again. How do you think David described this situation later on in life? I doubt he described it with a lot of pride. Like, oh, that was, those were the best days. Those days I was running for my life. Those days that I had to act insane in front of the king of Gath. David was coming to a point where he was literally saying, I can't handle this anymore. Have you ever come to that point in your life when you recognize I can't handle this anymore? David couldn't rely upon his character to bring him through this. And his circumstances were dire. As that story continues on, we see in 1 Samuel chapter number 22, he begins to hide in a cave. And in verse number 2, it says, And everyone who was in distress, and everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. David began to have other people that were equally going through hard times surrounding him. And it goes on and says, There's 400 men that are now around him. Have you discovered that when you're around discouraged people and people that are angry and people that are bitter, that people that are going through hard times, that they don't build you up. They actually bring you down. And you multiply that by 400. Imagine this group of men together, 401 men together, all going through hard times, trying to tell their story about how they're hard done by this would have been an incredibly discouraging group of people to be around. This wouldn't be an uplifting, encouraging group where they go, oh, I just can't wait to come back home to this cave and hear about how bitter we are. 
and how in debt we are. And then your story is not as good as the next guy's story and how bitter he is or how in debt he is. This was an incredibly discouraging circumstance to be in. And David gathers together these 400 men and eventually it grows to 600 people and then gathers more people together and they gather the families and the wives and the children together and they go to the enemy again. You remember early on in David's life when he defeated Goliath, Goliath was a Philistine. They are the forever enemies of Israel. And now David, the great warrior, the great general of the Israelite army, is now going over to the Philistines, and he's pleading with the Philistines and saying, can you take care of me? I'll fight on your behalf. And David began to lead his 600 men into battle, and they had raids from to the various areas around there. And now he's relying upon the Philistines, the arch enemy of Israel. And it says in 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse 1, Then David said in his heart, this is the point he's at. Now I shall perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than that I should escape to the land of the Philistines. He says, I am at the lowest point and there's nothing better I can do than go to my arch enemy. And you imagine that, those early conversations of how they, they would have mistrusted him. They looked at him and they never fully trusted David. And they would have thought back, and you imagine bumping into Goliath's extended family. Yes, I'm the one who killed your, your, your great, great uncle. The king of the Philistines gives to David a city called Ziglag. And Ziglag is a time when it's a low time in David's life, but he's given this city, and David's using this as a home base for all of his, of his people to be together, all of his wives. He has two wives at this time, which is not a good thing, but he has two wives at this time. And all these people are together, gathering together all the sheep, all the wealth, and David's going out on, on raids, and he's gathering more and more wealth through this time. And in one of these raids, he goes out, and we go to 1 Samuel chapter number 30. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Samuel chapter number 30. We're going to look at verse number 3 in just a moment. And there's several other verses through here that I think will be really helpful to you. You can see where David is, and this isn't just a one week or two week. This is literally years that he's doing this, and this is a hard, low point in his life. If you read some of the, the things that, that David is talking through during this time, you'll see that he's in a really low point. When you read through the Psalms that's through this point, he's crying out to the Lord. And here we find that David and his men have gone out on, on a raid, they left behind the women and the children and their wealth. And the Amalekites have come behind them, which are another enemy of, of Israel, and taken all the wives and all the children and all the wealth and burnt the city. And this is what we see in, in verse number three. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire. Their wives and their sons and daughters taken captive. You imagine the desperation the pit in your stomach that they would have been feeling, the, oh no, what are we going to do? These are, remember, these are already bitter people. These are people that are already in debt. And their response in verse number four is this. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no more strength to weep. These men literally cried themselves dry. They cried and wept until they could have no more tears. 
This is a time of desperation. Verse number six gives the response of what these men did in response. Now, when you go through different stages of grief, you start off with just the weeping and the, and, the, and the sadness and the, oh, no, what are we going to do? And oftentimes that grief turns to anger and you're looking for someone to blame. Who are we going to blame? And these 600 men were together and they said, we are going to blame our leader, David. And verse number six says, and David was greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him. They wanted to kill him now. The circumstances that David couldn't rely upon because he had lost his family. He had lost his reputation as the great warrior. He had turned to the enemy for help and now he's hiding in caves. He's surrounded by a bunch of misfits that wants to kill him. He's lost his family. He's lost his wealth. And all along, God had never left him. I have no doubt, and it wouldn't have taken but a few seconds for David to begin asking, why? Why me? Am I not your anointed? Or you begin thinking through, oh, look at all the things that I did for you in the past, God. And why is this happening to me? Why are my prayers not being answered? Why am I living in fear? Why me, God? Why not that guy over there? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? Have you ever been in a circumstance where you've asked God, why God? You see, the king of Israel, a man named Saul, physically, the Bible describes him as being head and shoulders in height, taller than anyone else. In other words, he was king-like. He looked like what a king should look like. He was a man who had been given every opportunity by God. The scripture says that when he was anointed, the spirit of the Lord came upon him. He had God with him, molding and shaping and guiding him and Every step of the way, Saul chose to do things his own way rather than do things the way that God wanted. As a result of that, in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter number 15, verse number 35, are some of the saddest words to be described by. God described Saul and his relationship with Saul. He says this, The Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. What a sad way to be described. As I was reading through some commentaries and describing and reading about the relationship of God with Saul, but also the relationship of David with the Lord, one commentator described it this way, which I agree with. God was saying, I'm never ever going to allow a man to be king over my people who has not experienced me. You don't want everything just given to you. So often we learn through the hard times. I don't see anywhere where David's in, in, in the middle of the, the hard times going, God, thank you so much for what you're going to teach me in the future. He was crying out for desperation. At this particular point, he's crying out and going, God, these people want to kill me. I've lost my family. I have no more tears to cry. I'm empty. And God's saying, I'm going to use this to mold you and shape you and develop you into the person that I want you to be, because as a leader, God says, I want someone that's experienced me. Saul did not have the heart of God. He chose constantly to trust in himself. David was a man after God's own heart, but he had to learn some hard lessons in order to reinforce that. In Psalm 22, 
verses 1 and 2, that we see the heart of David. And I'm not going to be able to read this with any real way of showing the emotion that is expressed here in this psalm. But you think through, how, as, as David wrote this psalm out, what sort of emotion would have been expressed? Oh God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Similar line to what Jesus said while he was on the cross. Why are you so far from saving me? The words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry to you by day, but you do not answer. And by night I find no rest. We recognize that David could not find encouragement in his character. We recognize that his circumstances are dire and he's crying out to the Lord through his circumstances. He could not find his comfort and encouragement in his circumstances because things were not easy. David couldn't find it in his circumstances because his circumstances were gloomy. He couldn't find it in his friends because his friends were full of grief and hatred towards him. He couldn't find it in his family because they were gone. He had no one else to turn to, but he turned exactly the right way immediately. That's verse number six of that passage. If you have your Bibles open, you'll see verse number six. He says that David was greatly distressed. They're going to kill him. And the very next line, we find in our third point with the confidence. David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That is so foundational for all of us. David didn't wait till the next day to say, let me think about what I should do. He already knew exactly where he needed to turn. And then you and I, the key there is his God. He already had a personal and intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. And that word strengthened is a Hebrew word that is used in the Old Testament 309 times. So it's a very common word in the Old Testament. It's translated a number of different ways. But that word strengthened literally means to fasten upon. Much like a young child who's afraid, a timid child will fasten on to the leg of, of one of the parents, the mother or the father, and hang on for dear life. Or if you like going down south and climbing some of those tall trees down there, one of my favorite is the bicentennial tree, which is like 72 meters up in the air. And as you climb up that tree, now it would be foolish to say, I don't have to hang on, I can just go up. The brave and the smart person says, I'm going to fasten upon this tree. And we often think, if you have to hang on, it's weakness. But I want to turn that around. That's where the true strength and the true power lies. When you fasten upon the right thing. Now, early on when I started climbing those trees as a young person, I remember grabbing them and and seeing if they'd move. And you shake them a little bit to, make, to see if, if, if find the loose one. And I thankfully never found the loose one. And as you're going along, you have to trust it. And the more that you trust in the poles, the faster you can go, but you never not hold on. And when I get down, oftentimes my hands are a little bit sore because of how hard I've been fastening on. Of course, I don't tell my family that because I'm tough. You're hanging on literally for dear life. That's not a position of weakness. That's a position of strength. And that's what we find with David. David strengthened himself in the Lord. That was a position of power for him. And this power was going to cost him something. There's two things we see here. We see there's a 
personal cost. There's a cost of standing. There's a cost of standing right. Standing up and being the leader of your home and your workplace. When we stand up and we stand up for what is right, we're vulnerable for accusation. We're vulnerable for gossip. We're vulnerable for rumors to be made about us. And that's exactly where we find David. In 1 Samuel chapter number 30, verse 6, Remember, immediately he's greatly distressed for the people spoke of stoning him because the people were bitter in soul because each of the sons and daughters, that exact same verse, so the same thought that's going along there, he immediately turned to God for strength. But here we find his positioning was, he was very vulnerable for accusation. People were bitter against him. They, people were bitter about the situation. So when we stand up for what is right, you will be vulnerable and there will be a personal cost. There's a cost of standing up for what is right. There's also a cost of self. The cost of self looks back and says, it's not me. I don't have all the answers. So I'm taking the pressure off of me and now I'm placing it upon the Lord, which is the total opposite of what we find in normal society. Normal society says, I am strong, I am powerful, I can do this myself, and real men just turn inward and quiet. That's not what we find with David, and he's a mighty warrior, a man after God's own heart, a man who found his encouragement in the Lord. He found his strength, but it cost himself. The scripture says that David strengthened himself in the Lord. The key words, his God. I underlined it on the screen for you. Because he had a personal and an intimate relationship with God. This wasn't something distant that he knew about hypothetically. It was something he experienced for himself. And the, you know the beauty is that you and I can use that same verse. You can place your name there. If your name's already David, good for you. The scripture's made for you. But put your name in there. My name's Michael. Michael strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And when we begin to personalize that, where am I fastening onto? I'm not fastening onto society. I'm not fastening upon the lies, the things that are vying for our attention. If you allow yourself to be instructed by the world, the world will instruct you and they will give you their opinion, but it will not be from the Lord. But the beautiful thing we find there is we can personalize that. It says his God. You can do exactly the same thing. If you know Christ is your savior, you already can call God your God. If you're yet to know Christ is your Savior, you're still on the edge and you're, you're thinking, should I, shouldn't I? We would love to take the Bible and show you out of the Bible how you can accept God's free gift of salvation and make God your God and Jesus Christ your Savior. It cost him himself. David strengthened himself from the Lord. Not only was it a personal cost, there had to be a personal choice. No one can ever be obedient on your behalf. As a parent, I would love to be obedient on behalf of my children, but it's impossible. Every single person has to be obedient on their own personal choice. And we see in verses 7 and 8, David said to, and this is the priest, a man named Abathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod, which I'll explain in just a moment. So Abathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? You see, in the Old Testament times, 
they would have a priest. And there's a picture on the screen of a priest. And on the priest's breastplate was an ephod. And this ephod had 12 different stones, which represented each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And there's a lot of conjecture about how they would inquire of the Lord about this. First of all, this is Old Testament times, times when they would use the priest and they would go through the priest as a go-between between them and God. And David would be asking these questions and somehow using the ephod, they would decipher the will of God by asking questions. And however it worked out, we actually don't know. But that's not what we're supposed to do today. We do not find anywhere in the scripture that it gives us any permission to go through and to cast lots or to roll dice and try to work out the will of God that way. But in Old Testament times, there was that provision. And David, the key here is he strengthened himself in the Lord. And the very next thing he does is he inquires of the Lord. There are so many opinions. If David would have turned to his men, he would have said, what do you think we should do? Remember, these men are bitter. They're crying. They're angry. They would have given very different advice. Here we find David inquired. So the real question is, to whom are you listening? What voices are vying for your attention? Are the voices of self-doubt or the voices of your circumstances, the voices of your negative past, or are you inquiring of the Lord? You see, when we inquire of the Lord, we see a beautiful thing. We actually have godly advice, not worldly advice, not worldly opinion. We have godly advice. We're literally saying, what does the Bible say? Another way of saying that is, what does the Holy Spirit, how is he guiding me at this time? As we read our scripture and we read the Bible, there's something in there for you every single time you open up God's word. And something that jumped out at me, and here's a key statement for this entire message. Please don't forget this statement. And I want you to mold this around this week as you, we encourage you to read your Bible. We encourage you to grow in your relationship with God. David had to inquire of the Lord. He had a long history with God. He had written Psalms during this time that are included in Scripture. He, the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord, but he could not rely. Here's the key statement. David could not rely upon what he previously knew about the Lord. He had to find out some new information. He had to hear something new from the Lord that he did not currently know. So often, and I'm guilty of this, and maybe you are too, we go, I know that Bible story already. Or I've read the scriptures before. I know that because I read that one time in the past. As if we have full understanding and full knowledge because we read it in our Bible devotions one time. We need to go back and say, God, what are you teaching me? What new thing do I need for today? That doesn't mean it's new revelation. It's always been there in the Bible. What it means is we're seeing with fresh eyes. That's why as a church we offer our connect groups. We take the principles and the application from our Sunday messages and we discuss them in an application way in a small group because we want to go beyond just the surface level and get to the heart level. That's why we have our groups with our teenagers for grow nights. We want to help them to grow and develop. That's why on Friday nights we have Explore the Bible. Where we're delving into, this term is delving into First and Second Thessalonians. Delving into it to go deeper, to say, what new thing do you have to teach me today, God, that I don't know already? We see that God answers. And God answered in the affirmative. God answered in verse number 8 and says, 
He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake and surely rescue. David now had a choice. Is he going to remain or is he going to move forward? You see, his circumstances had not changed. The only thing that had changed is that God says, Go and you're going to be victorious. His circumstances were still, his city of Ziklag was burned. The people around him wanted him to die. And he was without his family, without his wealth. His circumstances had not changed. But God was now with him, guiding him, and he said, go and pursue. As a result of that, David went out and he took the 600 men. 200 of them were too tired to move forward, so they stayed behind. And he took 400 and went to the Amalekites and defeated them in an incredible way. And and verses 18 and 19 describes them bringing back the wealth. And they had so much wealth and they had extra things that the Amalekites had accumulated that they had enough to give to others as well. And all that comes around to this statement. David could not rely upon his past character. He certainly could not rely upon his circumstances. He had to find his confidence in the Lord. Something I find absolutely incredible and personally encouraging this week as I study that out is that right now in my family and life, everything seems to be, seems to be normal. So if I was in a low point, I, got, I need this today. If I was in a high point, I go, oh, I don't need this. What we need to recognize is at every single point of our life that God can teach you to prepare you for the next step. God was preparing David through this difficult time to be the king that he, w- he needed him to be. The man that was developing and growing to be the king of Israel. What's God using these negative circumstances in your life to grow you and to develop you for the things that he has for you in the future? Things that you may not even have in your, even thought of in your mind, God is working and developing. In a moment, we're going to read from the book of Lamentations, chapter number three. Lamentations is a book that's not historically known as an encouraging book. It's a book, Lamentation literally means laments. Oh, I'm so sad. I'm so sorry. But there's some encouraging words in Lamentations chapter number 3 and verses 22 and 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. And the final statement is a statement of praise. Great is your faithfulness. The first statements are all statements of fact. The final statement is a statement of worship towards God. Maybe right now where you are in your life and your circumstances, you think to yourself, God, I don't see what you're doing here. And I don't know why God allows bad things to happen to good people and good things to happen to bad people. But we do know is great is your faithfulness. And maybe God's working your heart and your life even right now. And he's molding and shaping you. He, God's brought something in your mind right now. A good way to respond is to respond right now through prayer. And if you'd like some help through that, you have our connection cards and your bulletin on the welcome table outside. You can fill one of those out. We'd love to connect with you through the week, pray with you through the week, and help you grow and to develop into the people that God wants you to be.